Beloved congregation of the Lord, will you read with me again in this chapter, this time the 11th verse. John chapter 10 and verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Well, congregation, in the morning service, we began to consider this great uh, chapter from John's Gospel, which records the teaching of the Lord Jesus from this parable of the shepherd and the sheepfolds and the sheep. And I would say that as we zero in on this aspect of this parable, the reality that Christ is the shepherd of of whom he speaks in, in this parable, that we are coming to a place that is very precious to every true child of God. When we come to speak of Christ as the good shepherd, we have before us a very practical, a very helpful, and a very precious truth. The Christian life is not one of strong Christians. It's not based upon people who are good and strong and and wise and, and good in themselves, no. Rather, if we know ourselves at all, we are these weak, silly sheep, unable to do anything in our own strength, unable even to care for ourselves, indeed prone to wander from the one who loves us. But we know that though we are weak sheep, we have a strong and a good shepherd. We have a caretaker, one entrusted to us to take care of us, no matter what life's circumstances may bring and one who will never let us down. This is the confession of every true child of God, those who truly know Christ as their shepherd. And so when when Christ draws this out and he says, I am the good shepherd, we have something that that we must give our, our closest attention to. Let us consider as Jesus unfolds this teaching and, and what it means the particular emphases uh, that we see in verses 11 all the way to verse 18 and, and come to see how it is that those of us who have Christ in this precious relation of shepherd to sheep, how it is that we can learn more of this and, and improve it to our, to our own happiness and God's glory and And if we are not there yet, may it please the Lord to quicken in our hearts such a desire to know Christ in this way. So with the Lord's help, we'll consider simply the theme of Christ the shepherd. Christ the shepherd. And and first we'll consider the matter of, of the contrast to the hireling. How Christ contrasts himself to one he calls a hireling. Second, we will see his bond of love, Christ's bond of love. And, and third, we will see Christ's great sacrifice. So first, the contrast to the hireling. Second, his bond of love. And third, his great sacrifice. Well, as we began to see, even though this 
chapter is uh, very useful to the believer, there is what we'd call a very hard polemical edge to this whole chapter. Polemics, you understand, is contending for the truth against error. Christ himself was uh, a polemical preacher in that sense when there were threats to the spiritual good of uh, those whom he came to save. He was not shy about speaking about them forcefully. And he spoke about the enemies of the souls of the people, the Pharisees, in uh, these very uh, strong ways. Not in what we'd call a harsh way, because there was a measure to his tone. He spoke, indeed, in love towards all whom opposed him and, and offered his love and grace towards even the chief of sinners. We know that that men such as Nicodemus and Paul of Tarsus, that these ones from, the, from this very place of false religious authority would yet come to the knowledge of Christ. So we're to see it in that light. And yet we are also to see the, the very strong ways in which he speaks of these, the Pharisees. In the morning we began to consider how they are Robbers and thieves, they are those who steal from the people of God for their own benefit, and they are robbers. They are those who kill and those who destroy. They are those who are not building up the household of faith, but tearing it down for their own self-interest. And the the next way in which he speaks about these in order to highlight the contrast with himself is under the picture of a hireling. So he speaks about this still within the the parable we've been considering of uh, the shepherd and the sheep and the sheepfold. And you'll notice what he says here in verse 12. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. So you can see that... uh, The picture here is that of a hireling. And what is a hireling? Well, it is one who is performing his job because he is hired to do it. He is one who is working for a salary and for a paycheck. And the context here is is especially uh, those who are servants and leaders in the church here. There is... A strong rebuke here for those who are working for a paycheck. So that is the the very uh, frightening possibility that's held forth. We, of course, would look at the solemn task of the church. The very souls of men and the glory of God. And we would say, surely such things would never be. At such a low motive as 
as a salary would motivate one entering into the office of, say, a pastor. And yet, the teaching of uh, the scriptures here is that indeed it was the case in the Jewish church in the time in which Christ ministered. And, and certainly, I think it's uh, codified here in the scriptures, not that we would see it as only for that time, but, but there is this searching warning given to the church of all ages that there are such men who are motivated by such things. And you could see how it's, it's placed in such a way that the one for whom this applies would really have no means of escape. No means of escape. Because you could understand that these Pharisees who were decked out with all the trappings of their office and the honor with which they received from the people in the Jewish church. You could see how, though it was that uh, they indeed were motivated in this way for their own selfish gain, that they would object to this strongly and say, surely, surely this is a harsh criticism. Surely that it's certainly not true. And Christ gives them no means of escape because he places them in this scenario, which they know that they cannot deny the force of. The scenario is this. What would it mean if you who are entrusted as the under-shepherds over the flock of God, what would it mean for you if a great and a terrible threat to your own well-being were to manifest itself? What if the wolf comes for you, shepherd? It's really... What is, what is put here, it's, it's not so much in the peaceful times of a ministry that a minister is really demonstrated what he's, he's really made of and, and what really motivates him. It's rather when he is tested by the threat of a wolf. That's really what Jesus is saying here. You recall there was that famous shepherd of the Old Testament scriptures by the name of David. And children, maybe you've heard of David, and you know that he was someone who was looking after his sheep for his father, Jesse. And what happened, children, when a wolf or a bear or a lion were to try to kill one of David's sheep? Well, did he, did he run away? Did he just uh, turn and run? No. He took his sword, he took his, his bow, or rather his uh, slingshot, and he killed those beasts. He put his own life on the line and ensured that these precious sheep that were entrusted to him, they were safe. That's what a true shepherd does, isn't it? He lays down his life for his sheep. And that ought to be the case for every servant of God in an official office like, like a ministry. They would rather lay down their lives when a threat would come than turn and run. But these shepherds whom he is addressing, these false shepherds, these hirelings who are only working for a paycheck, they knew in their hearts that if it really came down to it and they had to choose between their own lives and the well-being of those in their care, 
they would turn and run. That's what it says in verse 13. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. And so there is the searching question to uh, the one speaking this sermon, but, but really all of us in our, in our different callings, I think. For all of us who have a calling, whether it is that of the office of believer or an office in a consistory or the office in your family, whatever it may be, you should, you should examine yourself by the searching light, as indeed I must do as well. And we should ask the question, what is it that really motivates us? Is it the comfortable life that sometimes we receive in a Christian community or we receive in a, in a, a normally peaceful country like Canada? Or is ultimately what motivates us a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? There was a, a choice between sacrificing the honor of Christ and your own well-being. How, how is it that you would make that choice? How, how much of your own well-being would have to be sacrificed before you would begin to waver and shake and indeed turn and flee? In the life of even these uh, disciples uh, who followed Jesus, we know that they, who, even who were true shepherds, they sometimes played the hireling. When Jesus was captured by his enemies, they turned and fled. Indeed, that is what we would all do in such circumstances if we were left unto ourselves. And yet, by God's grace, does he not give his true servants, his true people, all the resources that they need in order to stand firm when the wolf comes. Indeed, this is ultimately speaking of Christ himself, is it not? When the wolf came for him, when the authorities of the Roman Empire, in collaboration with the, the Pharisees and religious leaders, when they assembled as one in order to smite the good shepherd, he did not turn and run but he stood firm for the well-being of his sheep. And because he stood firm, is there not all his strength and grace bestowed to those who are conformed unto his image? Thus far, we do see this point of contrast to the hireling, but the next place I'd, I'd like to consider the good shepherd's bond of love to his sheep. This is expressed um, in verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So there we see perhaps something of the force of the contrast that he's laid out as he begins to extol how utterly different he is from the hireling. Jesus Christ is is not one who does not care for his sheep. Indeed, they are bestowed unto him from his heavenly Father, each one of his precious chosen ones. They are his. Hireling, he, he had no real interest in these sheep. He was, he was doing that work. Why? 
in order so that he could pay himself. If it really came down to it, he would not put himself in danger for them. How completely other is this one, the good shepherd. He has a vested interest in these sheep. They are his sheep. He is bonded and connected unto them in love. Indeed, I think while we can, we can understand that, that one who is a shepherd, like, say, David, would have a fondness for those, those fuzzy creatures, of course, we're, we're passing into the, the very reality which these earthly pictures uh, present to us. The love that God in Christ has for his sheep is beyond what we could imagine. And it's pictured before us here in these plain terms. And, and how can we even scratch the surface of the depths of the mystery of the bond of love that is that which connects Christ to his sheep? He says, here does he not, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. It's a simple word. He knows his sheep. And that word uh, know in, in the Greek, it's, it's never applied to mere facts. You can say, well, I know the pew that I'm, I'm sitting on, or I know uh, the car that I drive, or I, I know the capital of uh, Brazil. Mere facts, okay? I, I can think about that, and, and I know it. But this word is, is never applied to mere facts. It's applied to people. It's applied to those who are the objects of a personal connection, a personal relationship. Jesus says, I know my sheep, and the, the depths of that are, are staggering. He knows them. He knows them personally. Later on, he will, he will say, or rather he said earlier on, I, I should say, that he calls them by name. He calls them by name. That's what he said there in, in verse 3. And there we have a connection that we, we would have hard to under, understand if we would think according to ordinary farming. might be the case if you have a particular fondness for your sheep as a farmer. Maybe you would take the time to, to name them all and and really uh, remember all of their names. But it, we'd have to say that's a bit unusual, even for a particularly um, loving shepherd. But here is one who truly knows each one that he sets his saving love upon. Do you ever think about that? That Jesus knows you, child of God. He knows you in this way. He knows you by name. Everything that there is to know about you as a person, your strengths, your weaknesses, your background, the day of your birth, the day of your death, every moment of your existence on this world, including your sin, including your shortcomings, Jesus Christ knows you. He knows you. That is a bond that death can never sever. That is a bond that is stronger 
than anything else that you would care to think about. He knows his sheep. But on the flip side, he says, doesn't he, that he is known by them. Indeed, he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. This is why they respond to the sound of his voice. It's why they have this connection with him. Because he is connected with them, they are connected to him in turn. It is a two-sided relationship. The one who, who is truly known by Christ, that person will come to know Christ as well. Indeed, it's of a different character, isn't it? Because we know that Christ sets his love upon his elect from eternity. It is an unchanging love without beginning or end. It is, it is an amazing, astonishing thing, that love. And, and for us, it, it, it emerges over time. And it's not something we we're born with, not something we come into this, this world with and in the ordinary way in, in which it works. No, we come without any love for Christ. We come and he is just a word on the page. We come and he is just someone who is spoken about. He is someone that maybe we hear other people and, and they can speak of Christ. They can speak of a relationship with him. But, but as by nature, we don't know what that is. But in the fullness of time, God is pleased to work this grace so that indeed we are connected to him. We are connected to him so that we respond to that sound of his voice. And we are captivated by the sight of his glory as it is perceived in the Holy Scriptures. We, we think upon him. And we commune with him in our prayers and in our worship. These things are meeting places with our shepherd. Do you know the shepherd personally? If you do not know him personally, if, if Christ at the end of the day does not mean anything to you, if you can go through days and, and even weeks without really giving him much thought, then you must ask this question, do I know him? Do I know him? Am I one who is connected to him with this bond of love? Well, this, this bond of love, it is, is further, further explained here. And he, he begins to describe something of the glorious character of it there in verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. First thing about this that I'd draw your attention to is that this is, is put in, in this connection because there is a correspondence between the way in which Christ knows his sheep and the way in which God knows his Son. As the Father knoweth me. Same word, know. You would think about how it is that God the Father knows his Son. Indeed, by nature, he knows him one as one who is equal to the Father in all things. Indeed, they share the one undivided being of God. All the perfections of the Godhead belong to the Son, no less than the Father. 
and the Father is begotten of the Father. He is in the bosom of the Father. There is this eternal relation of love and delight between God the Son and God the Father, Father from eternity. No man has known the Son as the Father has, nor, nor the Son as the Father. These are things that, that are staggering beyond our comprehension, and yet this is how it is that we are to understand the love of Christ for his own. It would, it would be a, an astonishing thing that if we would be loved in any measure by one as holy and as perfect as Jesus Christ. If he regarded us with the, the, the same delight in which we would look at a rainbow or a butterfly, that would be an amazing thing. That one such as us, a lowly creature, should be regarded with any delight at all. That is an amazing thing. That sinners, those who deserve condemnation, that Christ would freely look upon one in the muck and the mire and disease and filth of sin with any favor whatsoever. That would be an amazing thing. But that he knows us. That he knows us in the way that the Father has known the Son and the Son the Father. That that kind of supernatural, incomparably great, infinite and, and vastly great love, that that should be visited upon us. That, that is a great thing. It's beyond what we could ever imagine. That we should be loved with the love of children. The way that we would, we would think about our own children. What father, what parent would not do anything for their children. And yet we are loved in that way by Christ. And that was a love that not only existed from eternity, but it was manifested in his flesh, in his humanity. As the eternal Son of God took upon humanity and the God-man walked the earth, as he tread the dusty roads of, of Galilee, as he interacted with these sinful people, as he contended for their souls, do we not see his love for these sinful people? The very same love from eternity. It was expressed in his words that he spoke at that time. We'll have occasion to speak of the supreme manifestation of that in his sacrifice later on. But, but in the third uh, heading under this, this second thought, I'd like to briefly look at how this bond of love has a claim upon all his sheep. All of his sheep. He says in verse 16... And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, they also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. We spoke in the morning about how the sheepfold that he is referring to in the first place is that of the, the Jewish church. He is speaking about those who are the children of Israel according to the flesh, who are covenanted to God with that uh, solemn worship under the old covenant. 
And he indeed had his people there. He indeed had those who were elected from eternity, whom he he set his love upon among the children of the Jews. And he loved them, and he he died for them, as we shall see. And he, he, he brought them out of darkness into his marvelous light, but it was not limited to them alone. It was also those who were not of that sheepfold. Those who were numbered among the Gentiles. Those from every tribe and color and kindred across this world. Even those from English or Scottish or Jewish or or, uh, Dutch ancestry or German ancestry or African ancestry or, or Chinese ancestry or Japanese ancestry, whatever you would care to think of. God has his people among all the tribes of the earth. He has his people here in London, Ontario. He has them from every conceivable background. And the word of Christ, both back then and also today, is that his saving love so rests upon them that he cannot rest until they are all gathered together into the new covenant church. This is his zeal for his people. I think that the most direct application we can draw from from that particular fact is is this. If we would have have such regard for the love of Christ when it concerns us, when it concerns us as redeemed souls, these are things that we love to hear. These are things that, that bring joy unto our hearts when we think of the love of Christ for unworthy sinners like ourselves. But if we would see that that very same love is a love that has a burning zeal for the gathering of all the Lord's people, would it not also make us restless? Would it not make us restless for the salvation of each one for whom Christ set his love upon? Would it not make us have an urgency for missions? Yes, missions around the world, missions uh, to every corner of this world where the Lord's people are, but also right here. It also includes our own families. It includes our own communities. It it includes this city where the Lord has placed us. The Lord has a desire that all of his people be gathered into the Christian church. Is that our priority? Could we claim to really know the shepherd? if we do not have the heart of the shepherd for all of his sheep? Could we regard this with with cold detachment? There are still these precious sheep scattered throughout this world in spiritual darkness, headed for a Christless eternity. Could we contemplate that in a calm and and a detached way if we truly delight in the love of the good shepherd. Well, surely if we have any attachment whatsoever to Christ, we will have his very same heart. We will not rest. We will endeavor through any means and opportunity, through our prayers, through our feet, through our words, through our relationships, through our time, through our money, we will not rest until they are all gathered in and 
to the glory of the Good Shepherd. So we've seen that both the contrast to the, the hireling as well as the bond of love of this shepherd. But third, and, and in the last place, I'd like to consider the great sacrifice of this shepherd. And indeed, Christ cannot restrain himself from speaking about it. He spoke about it in verse 11. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He spoke about it again in verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. And here again we've we've come to it there in verse 17. Therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. This great emphasis that that comes up again and again that Christ lays down his life for those whom he loves. It's there where we see the supreme contrast to the hireling, as we've, we've already seen. And it's there where the deepest expression of his bond of love is also made so clear. There on the cross, stripped of his divine glory, according to our own uh, appear, appear, um, apprehension of, of that scene, stripped of the glory and favor of men. There, the eternal Son of God, humble to the form of a, of a servant, is yet humbled further. He is made a curse before God and men, and the sins of his people laid upon him. He does this sacrifice without the slightest bit of reluctance. He says, I lay down my life that I might Take it again. I was thinking about that, that verse in, in the preparation for this. And the, the way I often quote that is in connection with Muslim evangelism. If I'm speaking to a Muslim, which, which lately I've had different uh, privileges to do, the great barrier for them is how is it? How is it that one who is a true prophet of God, as the Muslims believe Christ to be, how is it that one who is a holy man of God, how is it that he could die such a shameful death? It's a scandal to them. They, they can't contemplate it. How is it such a good and righteous man as Jesus Christ, how is it that he could be delivered into the hands of wicked sinners and crucified in such a cruel way? What I always say is, well, will you not hear the voice of this very one whom you claim to be a prophet? And will you not hear that word that he says, where I lay down my life, that I might take it again? Verse 18, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Indeed, it's a scandal to the Muslim, but what is a scandal to the Muslim ought to be at least a little bit scandalous to anyone who hears it. That Christ, the one who's supremely worthy, should lay down his life for a sinful race. It's staggering. It is scandalous. I could understand if a million worlds were sacrificed for Christ. If a million worlds were compelled to lay down their life for his glory. That, that I could understand. But that this one who fashioned the stars, the one who is the exact image of the Father, 
the one who is full of grace and truth, that he, that he should lay down his life willingly and gladly. That is, is something that, that defies understanding. And yet, though we cannot understand it, we bow down before him. We humble ourselves and we say that if it is spoken in the true word of God, we dare not doubt him. We dare not despise him. Where Christ should sacrifice his life. Will that be one that is regarded precious by all who claim the name of the Lord? May it be something that is at the very center of our lives. May we be able to say with the apostle that I desire to know nothing save Christ and him crucified. And the very center of our life would be the sacrifice of Christ. Can anyone slouch into despair and despondency where they know that the eternal Son of God has willingly laid down his life for you? You dare not do it. Yes, it's a humbling thing. It's, it's something that defies our understanding, but it is, it is something that lifts us up. It gives the child of God a unique place in all of creation. The angels in all their glory, God never gave them one who would die for them. Christ never loved a fallen angel such that he would die for them. But we, as those who are just grasshoppers upon the sphere of this world, we are those whom Christ has died for. Let us in awe and wonder receive this great gift. The last thing I would, I would say in this connection. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. This is where Christ differs from even uh, uh, one of his under-shepherd who might lay down his life for a congregation of of Christians. Christ is one who not only died, but having died for us, he yet lives. And how that he lives at the commandment of his Father, he, he is one who yet speaks to us. He speaks to us today. He speaks to us now. Are there any here who are truly belonging to his sheepfold? Let you let us never be those who despise his voice, never be those who harden his our hearts in the face of his glorious gospel. Let us respond now. Let us enter into the door of the sheepfold at the voice of the good shepherd. Let us lay hold of his life and life abundant, and let us live unto